0: just want to welcome you. And I want to look in the camera like I do every week and just welcome specifically those who are joining online. Whether you're watching this live in this moment or on demand sometime later, we're so glad you're here. And I know everyone here in the room wants to say hello to you. So congregation, can we put our hands together and welcome those who are joining online? Now, we are in the fourth and final week of our Extraordinary Relationships series. And this morning, in this fourth and final installment, I want to talk to you about marriage, singleness, and sexual ethics. So fasten your seatbelts, okay, because we're going to jump in. And I thought it would be good for us to start at the beginning. So if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1... We find there a key and important verse for us to begin with today. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We begin here because it's important for us to acknowledge a foundational truth of everything, a foundational truth of our faith, a foundational truth of our Christianity. It is that in the beginning, God created everything. God is the creator of all that is. And everything that we're going to talk about today needs to be built upon that single truth. Now, when I was a a kid, I had an elementary school teacher, and when she was getting ready to teach us something new that she thought we might be uh, challenged to stick with until we understood it fully, she would say, I need you to put your thinking caps on. I don't know if any of you ever had a teacher that said something like that, but, but can I just encourage you just for the next few minutes to just put your thinking caps on? because what we're gonna do uh, just for the next few minutes is we're gonna kinda build off of this foundational truth that God is the creator of everything, and I wanna share with you five things that I think we need to know about creation. Five things that I think once we understand them, they really kind of lay out for us a theological narrative, not just of Genesis chapter one, but really of the entire scriptures. And in reality, the entire thing that we need to understand as human beings trying to live faithfully for God. And so just for the next few minutes, thinking caps on, I want us just to think theologically together. And I wanna give you five things you need to know about creation. The first thing that I think you need to know is that there is a quality that we need to understand about creation. And the quality of creation is this, it is good. When you read Genesis chapter one, what you discover is that every day of creation, God creates whatever he's creating on that particular day, he gets to the end of his creative activity on that day and he says it is good. Until the last day of creation, when he creates human beings and he places them right in the center of all that he has created. And when he puts human beings right in the center of his creation, he steps back. And for the first time and the only time in the creation story, God says it is very good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. When God says creation is very good in this moment, he is simply stepping back and looking at everything that he has created in all of its entirety with human beings right in the center, man and woman living in relationship with each other and with him. And he says, that's exactly how I intended it to be. It's exactly the way I envisioned it in my mind when I started this creative process. And that's why God says it is very good. It it aligns with my purpose. It It is perfect in my intention. It is exactly what I wanted it to be. It is very good. I need you to understand this morning that when we think about the way God created the world, before anything else happens in this story and other things are gonna happen in this story, before those things happen, it was very good. It was exactly the way God wanted it to be. Second thing I need you to know about creation is that there is a purpose for creation. There's a purpose for creation. And the purpose for creation is that it is for him and this is an important theological truth for us to understand because in our world today we have so many voices telling us that what your experience is in this world is for you and i just want to tell you i think that's the wrong way to live your life i think it misses the purpose of creation you weren't created just so you can go do you You were created so that you could live for him. All of creation, in fact, exists for him. Paul writes this in the book of Colossians. He says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on this earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And then this last phrase, everything, everything was created through him and for him. You see, when you recognize that when God created the world, he created it to be perfect. He created it to perfectly align with his intentions, his purpose, his plan. And he stood back and he looked at it and he said, it's very good. It came out just the way I wanted it to. In that moment, creation is, is fulfilling its purpose. It's pointing to him because it's exactly what he wants it to be. And when creation is perfectly aligned to what God's purpose and God's plan is, it lifts up God, it honors God, it glorifies God. And that's what creation exists to do, to point to him, to say, this is, this is how God wants it to be. And when things are the way God wants them to be, it honors him. But of course, creation doesn't maintain its perfect alignment with God's plan and God's purpose. If you read in Genesis chapter three, what you discover is that the serpent comes and tempts Eve to eat and Eve eats. Remember, remember God, uh, the serpent came and said, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't, don't believe his word. Don't believe what he said to you. You can just ignore that. God's actually trying to keep something from you. He's not trying to build boundaries to protect you and allow you to live in the fullness of what he intends for you. He's actually trying to keep you from other experiences that you will really want to have. So just ignore God's word and do what you wanna do. Because, because God's boundaries aren't built on love. That's what the serpent was telling Eve. That actually It's actually built just to keep you kind of enslaved and entrapped so that you can not experience freedom. And Eve buys the temptation and she eats the fruit. And then she says to Adam, this is good. You should eat this too. And Adam eats the fruit. And in that moment, all that was perfect, all that was very good, now has been introduced into it rebellion. And with rebellion comes brokenness. It comes shame and guilt and fear, division, enmity, opposition. Between Adam and Eve... Remember when God comes to walk with them and they're nowhere to be found because they're hiding, they're they're covering their shame and then they start blaming each other because they're no longer living in right relationship with each other and they're no longer living in right relationship with God. They're hiding from him because they're ashamed of what they've done and, and how they've rebelled against him. And, and when that happens, God acts in grace and he restores the relationship. But, but there are consequences. The consequences that God said would result from sin in the world. And that consequence, if we could just summarize it in a word, it would be creation is now Cursed. Right? This is the problem of creation. It is the problem of sin. And when sin comes into the world, it brings a curse. This is what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. He says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. You see, sin comes into the world, and with it, it brings a curse. It breaks things. It damages things. It it messes things up. Things that were very good are no longer very good. They're out of alignment. They're, They're not the way they're supposed to be. And if you've ever had a moment when you've looked at our world and you've thought, this doesn't seem like it's supposed to be like this, it's because you understand the problem of sin in our world. Sin makes a mess of things. And as a result, creation is subjected to a curse. There's a captivity, there's a weight, there's an oppression that sits on creation. And if this were the end of the story, it would be pretty discouraging, right? I mean, if if the story just ended here, like we're just stuck in this reality, then it would be a really bad story. But the reality is, is that God doesn't look at creation under the curse that it is under. He doesn't look at it and say, I'm done with it. Let's just throw it away. I'm just gonna turn my back on it and not give it another thought. God doesn't do that. And God doesn't say, I'll show them. I'm gonna get them. And we're just gonna spend the rest of human history punishing humanity because they turned their back on me. I'll teach them a lesson. Right? If I were God, I might be tempted to do something like that. I'll show them. You rebel against me, I'll get you. Thankfully, I'm not God. God because that's not how God acts at all. God looks at humanity and creation in its sin, and he says, man, they messed up. They rebelled. They went the wrong direction. They they made a mess of what I created that was very good, but I love them. I love them. I love them so much that I want to do whatever I need to do to redeem them, to, to buy them back. To, to fix it, to, to restore it, to put it back the way it was supposed to be. And this brings us to the next thing you need to know about creation. There is a problem of creation, that's sin, but there's also the redemption of creation, and that's all about the person and work of Jesus. See, Jesus is the one who comes into this world in, in fleshed in humanity, and he lives among us, tempted in every way, yet without sin, And then he gives himself as a sacrifice for our sins. His body is broken, his blood is spilled to forgive us, to to cleanse us, to make us new creations, to allow us to be born again and become the children of God and to be redeemed and restored and for God to do his work in us to make us who he wants us to be. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God doesn't leave us in our sin. He acts on our behalf to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to redeem us and bring us back and make us whole again so that we can experience life the way God intended it to be lived. In fact, if you look at the very beginning of Romans chapter eight, we read a couple of verses from there just a moment ago about the curse. But look at how Romans chapter eight begins. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and death. This is what God does for us. Sets us free, gives us life, makes us new. And he doesn't do it because we deserve it. He doesn't do it because we earned it. He doesn't do it because because we even asked for it. He acted while we were still sinners. This is the redeeming grace of our God. But there's one more thing that I think you need to know about creation because it doesn't end with redemption. It feels like that should be the end. That's kind of the high point, right? Except that after God redeems us, he doesn't want us to just be redeemed. He wants us to join him in his work to redeem and restore creation. This brings us to the fifth and final thing I think you need to know about creation. And that's the call to creation, which is this, that we would be witnesses. You see, what God wants to do with people that he is redeeming from a life of sin, from a life of brokenness, from this curse that we've all been under, when we are redeemed, when we're purchased back, when we're bought with a price, and he restores us into relationship with the Father. He begins to change our lives, and what he wants from us is to be people that when they look at our lives, they begin to see at least a little taste of that very good aspect of creation. That God would that God would so work in our lives, making us holy and, and pure and transformed, that when people see us, they we're not perfect. Not everything about our life is gonna just line up exactly like it's supposed to all the time. But, but people would look at our lives and they say, man, there's something that's good about that life. Something, something that feels like it's supposed to be like that. Like it's supposed to work like that. Like, like it's that reality that God's trying to produce in us. You see, God doesn't just call us to be redeemed. He calls us to be ministers of reconciliation. He doesn't just say, I want to buy you back and set your life right. He says, I actually want you to partner with me in this work that I'm doing to redeem and to restore the world. And the way that we do that is by being witnesses. We're witnesses in the way that we live our lives. Faithfully living our lives in ways that honor God. Because remember, creation honors God when it aligns with his purpose and his plan. That's that's how we honor God. When we bring our lives underneath his guidance to say we're gonna live our lives the way God wants us to live our lives because we're not our own. We were bought with a price and we belong to him. We're gonna live for him and let our lives, the way that we live, honor him. And as we do that, people around us begin to see that there's something different about us. They begin to have opportunities uh, to have conversations with us and open doors of opportunity, present themselves to us so that we can do more than just live faithfully before them. But we begin to open our mouths and we begin to proclaim the gospel. I love the idea, you know, that says that uh, we should live our lives in such a way that, that, that we're preaching the gospel in the way that we live. And, and, and maybe we won't have to open our mouths, except we're always going to have to open our mouths right? People can't have faith unless they hear the word of God and they can't hear the word of God unless someone shares it. We're always going to have to speak the gospel, but before we can have the credibility to speak it, we must live it. And that's what it means to be witnesses for God. Now, you might be wondering right now, what does all of this have to do with marriage and singleness and sexual ethics? And that's a great question. And as soon as I figure it out, I'll let you know. In reality, I think that this kind of study of creation and the narrative of scripture helps us understand an awful lot about marriage and singleness and sexual ethics. See, I think, I think that the church, the Christian faith, sometimes we get a bad rap because we, we start the conversation about these kinds of issues with the do's and don'ts of relationships and sexual preferences and sexual practices. And I want to be very clear. I think scripture is clear on the do's and don'ts and the rules and the standards I know that there are a lot of people in our culture who would tell you that there's lots of gray areas and I think those gray areas are less gray than they think they are. I think scripture's actually really, really clear. And I think it's clear throughout, Old Testament to New Testament. So I think the do's and don'ts exist but I think we start the conversation there and we get accused of just being kind of old fashioned. People who have failed to keep up with the times. And I want to just say, guilty as charged. I actually think the Christian faith is ancient. And it's rooted in a truth that was there at the very beginning of creation. And that truth exists and is sustained right up to this very present moment. And I don't think it changes and I don't think it shifts. And so what we've been talking about really kind of sets the backdrop for what we need to understand about marriage and singleness and sexual ethics. You see, the reality is, is that when God created the world, it was perfect. It was just the way he wanted it to be. But when God created the world, he created it for relationships. He he created it so that human beings could be in relationship with each other and they could be in relationship with him. And because the creation of the world was all about relationship, it was built to run on the currency of love. And whenever you build something to run on the currency of love, you have to build into that the possibility of choice. Because if you can't choose it, then it's not love. I had to earn my wife's love. For me, it was love at first sight. For her, it took like a hundred (laughs) sights. I had to work for it. I couldn't make her love me. I had to persuade her to choose to love me. If I could make her love me, it wouldn't be love. It would be something else. God builds into the system choice because he wants it to be based on love. And if you doubt this, just go back through the messages in this series. Love God and love others. That's the essence of relationships. God builds choice in. And here's the problem with choice. We can choose to love God, but we can choose not to love God. We can choose to align ourselves with God's purposes and plan, or we can rebel against him. And so because God builds a system based on love, he introduces choice into the equation, and we chose to rebel against God and go the other direction. But as I said, God doesn't throw creation away. He says they're they're worth saving. Because they're made in my image and I still have purposes and plans. And I can redeem them and I can restore them and I can take even all the stuff of their life that's not the way I wanted it to be and I can make it work for the good that I've planned for them. And you might ask me, how does he do that? I don't know. He's just God. And he does miracles like that but he restores us and he he brings us back to what he wants us to be. But here's the thing, because sin is in this world, sin and the curse that rests upon creation damages everything. Even marriage, even singleness, even our sexual ethics. And we look around our world today and we see our world doing all kinds of things that, that I don't even think it takes a Bible scholar to say, that's not the way God intended it. It's not the way God wants it to be. And so so what God is trying to do in this world right now is bring people first and foremost back into relationship with him because here's what you need to know. Your sexual ethics will never save you. Only Jesus can save you. There's no amount of work that you could do, no amount of good living that you could enter into that God would say, okay, you're good enough now. I'll let you in. You're never gonna be that good. That's why God did it for you in the person of Jesus and made a way for you to be saved. So we're not talking about ways for you to earn salvation today. God's just trying to bring you back to a relationship with him. That's what saves you. And once you are redeemed, then God's spirit begins to transform you from the inside out. And as he begins to transform you from the inside out, what he's trying to do is bring your life in alignment with his plans and his purposes so that when you are living your life in this world, your life is honoring God. So what I wanna do for the rest of our time this morning is just share three things with you that I think we can do to be faithful witnesses of God in this world as redeemed people. So if you are here today and you are walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I think these are things that you should pay attention to and and ask the Holy Spirit to help you live out in this world so that you can be a faithful witness pointing this world to God. And the first thing is this. You should be faithful to your marriage covenant. You should be faithful to your marriage covenant. Now, obviously, I haven't gotten to the single part yet. I'm talking to the married people in the room. But it's really, really important for us to understand that when we seek to honor God as faithful witnesses in this world, we do so by honoring the marriage covenant that we have made. When you stood in front of a minister and you made a commitment to each other, Sickness and in health, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, till death does us part, right? Except that in our world today, that last line, till death does us part, doesn't really mean much. Because we, we say that maybe in a wedding ceremony, but in our culture today, what often happens is people say, as long as, as, long as I'm getting what I want. I'll be faithful to my marriage covenant as long as it's meeting my needs, as long as it's serving my interests, as long as it it makes me feel good. And what I want to encourage us as Christians today to consider is that when we make a covenant before God, that we actually seek to fulfill that covenant faithfully until death parts us. And the reason for that is not because of my opinion or my thoughts or my hopes for the world. It's because I believe this is the teaching of scripture. Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 is asked some questions about marriage and in the context of his his discourse on marriage, this is what Jesus says. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now it's interesting that when Jesus seeks to teach on marriage, do you know where he draws his teaching from? Genesis chapter one. It goes right back to the very beginning. When, when the son of God is looking for a biblical text to speak from, he goes back to the creation story and say, says, this is how God created in the beginning. This is why we have marriage. One man, one woman for a lifetime. You want to know what Jesus thinks about marriage? That, that's what Jesus thinks about marriage. And it's rooted in the original creation intent of God who, when he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, he said, it is very good. This is how Jesus teaches about this passage. And it's picked up later in the New Testament when Paul writes to Christians in the city of Ephesus. He says to them in Ephesians chapter 5, a whole section on marriage. He says that you should, as husbands and wives, be submitted to one another. Verse 21... And then he says that you should love one another, verses 25 and 28. And then he says that you should give yourselves to each other, verses 25 and 29. And it's interesting that when Paul teaches on marriage in the context of this letter, guess what passage he quotes? Genesis. It all goes back to the creation story. It's as old as you can get. It's ancient and it's never changed. It's never changed. This is God's definition of marriage one man, one woman for a lifetime. And I know what I'm saying doesn't fit in our culture. So be it. So be it. I don't belong to this world. I don't follow this world. I'm not up here this morning sharing my opinions or my thoughts about marriage. I have already decided that the word of God is what I will submit my life to. And the culture doesn't have to like it and they don't have to support it and they don't have to applaud it. It doesn't change the fact. Culture doesn't even have to believe it. Still doesn't change the fact. This is the word of God. This is what God says. And some of you might be really uncomfortable right now, thinking, man, this is, this is not politically correct. Yep, yep, I know. But I'm the one up here speaking. And my job is to make sure that you understand the full counsel of God's word, Period. And what I'm asking and inviting every married couple in this room to do is to be faithful to your marriage covenant. Not because you, you really love the person. I mean, I hope you do. But be faithful because that's what God deserves from your life. Now I know there are all kinds of issues. Like what about abuse? And what about marital unfaithfulness? And all of those places have, have teachings in scripture that speak to those. And we don't have time to go into that today. But if you want to talk about that, you let me know and we will sit down and we'll have a conversation. I'm happy to have those conversations and help you understand what scripture says about those things. But what God says is that we come together as husbands and wives for a lifetime and we faithfully fulfill that covenant, which means that we don't cheat on our spouse means we don't abuse our spouse not just physically but we don't abuse them with our words we don't hurt them in any way we we seek their best interest and we're not in marriage for what we can get out of it we're in marriage for what we can give to the other person because that's what marriage is called to be sacrificial self-giving love because our marriages are about more than us They point to the God that we serve. And to be a faithful witness means to live out our marriage covenant faithfully. We believe in this at Lakeview. And so we're not just saying, have a better marriage. Good luck. We're actually going to have a marriage conference this spring. April 19 and April 20, right here at our church, we're having a marriage conference And if you're a married couple, we want to invite you to come in. Friday night, we're going to start with a banquet. We'll have an opening session following dinner. And it's going to be a great time. You're going to get to learn some things that will help you improve your marriage. Because we don't want you just to stay together. We actually want you to thrive. We want your marriage to be what God wants it to be. And we want to help you do that. On Saturday morning, we're gonna have a couple sessions. We'll start at 9 a.m. We're gonna have some breakfast so you can come and have breakfast. And, and then at 9 a.m. we'll start and, and then we'll go until noon and we'll have three sessions over Friday night and Saturday morning. And we're bringing in Jim and Geraldine Bogier, Wesleyan ministers, seasoned couple. Uh, they've done marriage conferences in lots of different places around our denomination. And we've invited them to come in and spend that time with us and invest in marriages And so we want you uh, to sign up for this conference. And you can do that by scanning that QR code. There is a cost for this conference. It's $50 per couple. That helps offset the cost of the conference. But I need everybody to look right up here at me. Because if you look at the dates and you say, we can do those dates. And man, we'd love to come to a marriage conference. But you look at that price tag and you say, I don't have $50. Then you just click the free button. We literally put a free button in the form And all you have to do is click that. We have scholarship money, and we will pay for you to come to the conference because we believe in your marriage, and we want to help you grow. You're going to hear more about that. Yeah, it's worth applauding. So that's marriage. But some of you in the room aren't married. You're single. I want to talk about that for a couple minutes. And Here's the call to those of you who are single, whether you hope to be married one day, whether you were married and you're no longer married, or whether you're not married and you don't know if you ever will get married, if you are single, this is God's call to you right now in your life. You should be faithful in celibate singleness. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter seven says, I wish everyone were single as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Paul's not saying marriage is bad. In many places, he teaches about marriage, the importance of marriage and and how we can have strong marriages. But but in this case, Paul says, I'm single and I wish you all were single. You know why Paul wants everybody to be single? Because he wants you to spend your life working for the Lord. That's, that's really his wish here. He, he's thinking about the church. He's saying, man, if everyone were single, they wouldn't have to concern themselves with the affairs of this world. They could just, they could just live for the Lord. But Paul goes on to say, of course, some people should be married. So he's not, he's not downing marriage, but he's also not downing being single. And this is where I think the church has gotten it wrong over the years. I think the church has made marriage first-class citizenship and singleness as second-class citizenship. But historically, that's never been the case in the church. There have always been two faithful paths to live for God as married people or as single people. And one of them is not better than the other. Beth Felker Jones in her book, Faithful, which by the way is an excellent book. It's not a very long book, but it is so very good. She writes in her book about these two pathways to be faithful. This is what she says. Faithful witness is the reason Christian ethics have always held open two paths for Christian sexual fidelity. The path of faithful marriage is a sign of God's faithfulness. The path of celibate singleness is a sign of God's faithfulness. When a single person doesn't have sex, his body is a testament to God's utter refusal to forsake us. When a married person remains faithful, her body is a testament to the very same God. In marriage, we bear witness to the quality of the divine human relationship. As in a faithful marriage, God is faithful to us. The husband and wife who are faithful to one another while being different from one another are a sign of the ways that God is faithful to us while being different from us. But singleness, she says, is also a sign equal to marriage as singleness too points to God's faithfulness. In both marriage and singleness, we're embodying something about God's radical fidelity. So if you are single today, I have a word for you. And this is the word. You are a complete person. You do not need a spouse to complete you. You are complete and full as the person that God made you to be. And you don't need any other person to be complete and full before God. Now, I don't know if you're single today, if you'll be married at some point in the future, or if you will remain as you are. That's above my pay grade. But whether you are single for a season and then you will be married or whether you are single for the rest of your life, I just need you to know you don't need anybody else to be fully who God made you to be. You are complete just as you are. So don't let people look down on you. You are not a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. You can be a faithful witness to who God is as a single person. And in fact, we need you to be that for us. One more thing before we wrap up this message. You gotta be faithful, whether you're married or single. You gotta be faithful in your sexuality. You gotta be faithful in your sexuality. You see, God's will, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, is for us to be holy. In 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 Paul says we're set apart and we're called to be holy and then right in the context of that call Paul says so stay away from all sexual sin Sometimes in our culture, we have tried to make sexual sin not that important. And I would say to you that it's critically important that we remain sexually pure before God because it is a part of the call that God makes to us to be holy people. Why? Because what we do in our bodies matter because what we do in our bodies determines how much we are honoring God. You see, our bodies belong to the Lord. And we must be faithful to God in what we do with our bodies. Now, you got to understand some things about this verse, and I'm going to go quick because we're getting to the end of our time. In this particular verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, the word translated sexual sin is the Greek word porneia. It's the same word that often gets translated as fornication or sexual immorality or sexual sin. It is an umbrella term for any kind of sex, that sits outside of God's plan for our lives? And you say, well, what kind of sex inside of God's plan for our lives? The kind of sex that occurs between one man and one woman inside of the marriage covenant for a lifetime between them. That's the place where God made sex to exist And he made it to exist in that relationship to be beautiful, to be intimate, to be about connection and closeness. He he wasn't just talking about coming together emotionally when he said one flesh. He literally meant come together as one flesh. That's where sex is supposed to exist in the way God designed it to function. And our culture says that's old fashioned. Sex can be anything you want it to be with anybody you want to have it with as many times and as many partners in any setting. Our culture tries to take all the boundaries off and just say, you just do whatever you want to do. And I want to be clear. As human beings, remember, there's choice. You're free to do whatever you want to do. But if you want to honor God in this area of your life, if you want to live inside of a relationship in a way that honors God, the way God intends it to be, there's only one place where sex can reside. Inside of a marriage covenant between one man and one woman for a lifetime. That's that's how God designed it. And you don't have to like it. You could wish it was different. You could wish God wrote the plan differently. You You can do all that. It doesn't change the fact. That's what the Bible teaches. You see, our culture, our culture, it's telling you, just go do whatever you want to do. But God says, no, no, I've called you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Anything that's outside of God's plan, stay away from it. Which means if you're single, you need to stay away from sex. And that means pornography It means the hookup culture that's part of the world we live in. You got to stay away from it. Celibate singleness. That's what you're called to if you want to be faithful. And if you're married, don't cheat on your spouse. Stop looking at pornography. Stop lusting after other people or imagining what it would be like to be with another person. No, you made a covenant to one person. Be faithful to your marriage covenant. Do not defile the marriage bed. Now you may have come to church today hoping for some feel good end of this message series. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I want you to live faithfully for God. And it's not always easy. In fact, I'm not sure it's supposed to be easy. I don't think God invites us to live an easy life for him. I couldn't find a verse about that in the Bible. I think that, that we, will, we will have to make some decisions that are countercultural, that go against the flow. But are we trying to just please ourselves? Or are we trying to honor God? New Testament talks about this in other verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. It's the same word, porneia. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses four and five, he says, each of you will be able to control your own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. You see, the way we have sex within the marriage covenant between a man and a woman, and the way we don't have sex if we are outside of that marriage covenant is a faithful witness to who God is and to what God is doing in the world and our partnership with him to redeem and to restore this world. But here's the thing. When we talk about these kinds of things in church, they can lead us into thinking certain thoughts. For example, some of you might be sitting here thinking about the life that you have lived in your past. And maybe even as I've been talking, you have felt shame coming upon you for ways and things that you have done previously. And I wanna just remind you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are living in relationship with him and you are feeling shame today, I wanna just speak this over you. That shame is not from God. God never shames us. So if you're feeling shame today, I just want to rebuke that in Jesus' name because you shouldn't feel shame today. If you are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You're a brand new creation, born again, washed clean, white as snow, the Bible says, and you shouldn't feel shame. If you're walking with Jesus and you're feeling guilt because of things that you're doing right now, I wanna just encourage you not to push that guilt away, but to recognize it for what it is. It is God's invitation for you to confess, which means to agree with God, to say, yes, I'm, I'm doing that, Lord. And I know you don't want me to do that. And then to repent and turn and agree with God's help to go a different direction. See, some of you are feeling shame right now for your past and I'm telling you, you don't need to feel that shame. Just let it go, it's not from God. That's the enemy trying to trip you up. But some of you are feeling guilt and that's not from the enemy, that's from the Lord. And we might be tempted to push that away and pretend it's not there, but the old-timers used to call this conviction. Some of you are thinking, wait, I'm an old-timer because I use that word. Yep, you are an old-timer, okay? Conviction, and if you're feeling conviction, just confess, just agree with God. Just agree with him. Just say, yes, Lord, you're right. And then repent. And with his help, go in a different direction. And then some of you are here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. And you might not know what to do with a message like this. But I wanna just remind you that you're not saved by being married or being single. You're not even saved by your sexual ethics, by doing the right things in every situation. You couldn't do enough good to be saved. God has done that work for you. And all you need to do is put your faith and your trust in the work that God has done on your behalf. And you will be saved. You're never saved by works. God God created it that way. He designed it that way. And, And Ephesians 2 tells us why. So that none of us could ever boast. You don't ever get to stand up and say, I was so good, God had to accept me. No, you can't ever say that. We all have the same testimony. I was a sinner, but because of what Jesus has done, I am saved by his grace. And some of you today need to be saved by his grace. And I'm inviting you today not to get married or not to become single, or I'm just inviting you to follow Jesus. Because I think that's the most important decision you could ever make to live your life for him. So this morning, before we celebrate communion together, I wanna just uh, invite you, if you would, to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're gonna take a moment to just give you a chance to think about what's going on in your life right now. And I really want everyone to not be looking around because I wanna ask people to respond in a couple of different ways right here. And I want people to feel free to do that so that I can pray for them, for what God's doing in their life right now. And I don't want to add any pressure by having people looking around. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, this morning there's just shame that I feel like the enemy is trying to place on me for what I've done in the past. I want to just say a prayer over you this morning. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to slip your hand up and put it back down. If you'd say, you know what? I have shame in my life and I want that to be removed. I see that hand. Yeah, yeah, I see hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see that hand. God, for all these hands that just went up, I, just, I pray against shame right now. Lord, because I know it's not from you. You don't shame us. You might convict us and invite us into a better life, a different way of living, but you never shame us. You never shame us. So I speak against the work of the enemy in these people's lives right now. And I pray the name of Jesus and I plead the blood of Jesus over these lives. And I pray right now, God, that you would wash away any sense of shame and you would help them hear your voice. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you in this room this morning would say, you know what, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There are things in my life, and again, no one looking around, please. You say, this morning, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and there's, there's something, a practice, a, a sin, a behavior that I need to lay down. And with God's help, I'm confessing, yes, Lord, that's part of my life. And I'm repenting with your help. I'm going to go a different direction. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I see that hand. Yeah. I see that hand. Yeah. 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 God, right now, I just pray that you would do a work of sanctifying in our lives. Lord, we're, we're just taking the next steps. You're, you're showing things to us right now and we're just saying, yes, Lord, that's true in my life. I wanna be forgiven, I wanna be cleansed, I wanna go a different direction. So God, right now, by the Holy Spirit, would you help us go a different direction for you? And I pray for these who have raised their hands that you would do a special, special work in their lives right now. And then how many of you today would say, you know what? I don't know what I think about this message, but I think today is the day that I wanna begin to follow Jesus. And I wanna begin a relationship with him. I wanna put my trust and my faith in the work that he has done for me. And if that's you today, I just want you to put your hand up because I wanna lead you in a prayer as well. If you wanna, for the very first time today, put your faith in Jesus, anybody. I see your hand. Anybody else? If you raised your hand and want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, just simply pray these words. You can just pray them quietly right where you're at. God, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be spilled so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be made new. Right now, God, I give my life to you. I put my faith and my trust in the work that Jesus has done. I know I could never be good enough to be saved. But God, through Jesus, has done the work to reconcile me to himself. And I receive that work today. I put my faith and my trust in it. And I commit to live the rest of my days for you. And if you prayed that prayer with me today, you are now a child of God. we celebrate with you what God is doing in your life. And God, we do pray right now that you would just wrap your arms around these who just prayed that prayer and embrace them as part of your family. Do your work in them, we pray.